has said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of the place Bashan, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. This is the word of, this is the, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful for this time to come together and to remember that you are a good father who loves us well, even when we don't see it. Or we are grateful that we get to hear stories and testimonies of what you are doing. Lord, all over this world and particularly in Brazil, we pray, God, that we would humble ourselves this evening before your word, that you would challenge us and encourage us by your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to say happy Father's Day again, and for this Father's Day, we are kicking off a new series. If you have been with us previously, you know that we just wrapped up last week a really groundbreaking series on the spiritual gifts, and we're beginning a series now that's going to go throughout the whole summer as we look at the book of Judges, and we gathered together as a pastoral leadership team, and we said, let's get really creative with the title for this series. We're going to call it Judges. So we really thought about it a lot, and we thought that's going to be provoking, and uh, we went with Judges for the book of Judges. And I, I want to start out this series actually with a test. Who's down for a test? Okay, well, that was pretty good. I mean, some of you are nervous. This is a common sense test, so you will all do great, okay? The, the questions will be on the screen. I'm going to give you a few seconds to uh, kind of process the question. Then I'm going to ask you to actually share with your neighbor. So if you don't know who your neighbor is, now you're going to get to know them. The first question is this. What word would you use to describe a person who doesn't have all their fingers on one hand? What word would you use to describe a person who does not have all their fingers on one hand? Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Okay, share your answer with the person next to you. Share the word. What do you think? Share the word. The answer is normal. We have all of our fingers divided on two hands, five on each. None of us have all of our fingers on one hand. That would be bizarre. The second question, you see where we're going with this. In some months, there are 31 days. In some months, there are 30 days. And how many months have 28 days? Think about it. Think about it. You know what? Some of you yelled out all of them. That's the right answer. But you're supposed to think about it and share it with your neighbor. Okay? This is the game. So let's, let's work on that for question number three. Now you're going to have to get your imagination on. Okay? You ready for your imagination? Imagine that you're going to step into a pitch black room. You have a match. You have to choose what to light first. Inside the room is an oil lamp, newspaper, or firewood. What do you light first? Imagine. All right, share the answer with your neighbor. Share the answer with your neighbor. Thank you for you who got so excited that you yelled it out. The answer is the match. How many of you got that right? Some of you said oil lamp. I know it. Some of you said oil lamp. Okay, this is the most difficult question of all, so you need to get your thinking caps on. Here we go. It's kind of like a riddle. What do you sleep on? sit on and brush your teeth with? 
What do you sleep on, sit on, and brush your teeth with? Think about it. Think about it. Process, process. Share with your neighbor. If you don't know, just kind of say something. What comes to your mind? What do you sleep on, sit on, and brush your teeth with? The answer is a bed, a chair, and your toothbrush. Don't overcomplicate it, guys. A bed, a chair, and a toothbrush. Okay? You see, these common sense tests are really interesting. I went down a rabbit hole on YouTube this week and just kind of see how good I could do, and I didn't do very well. In fact, actually, statistically speaking, 90% of adults fail common sense tests because we believe ourselves to be wise, and we overthink and overanalyze the questions. Kids pass these tests. And we fail them because we're like, okay, I know the answer. What do I sleep on, sit on, or brush my teeth with? What do I call? I don't. We overthink and we overanalyze. As we kick off this series in the book of Judges, creatively called Judges, we're going to be looking at the difference between common sense faith and brave faith. That's what the text is sharing with us this morning. See, oftentimes we overthink things. We overthink the promises of God and the commands of God and and what faith is and what it looks like, and we live out a common-sense faith that is really a half-hearted discipleship instead of brave faith. But before we jump into our text this morning, I need to set a little bit of the context of Judges so we all kind of know where this book sits historically and what is actually taking place in and around it so as we move through the series, we're all together. The book of Judges recounts the time for the people of God, the Israelites, after the death of Moses and Joshua. The people of God were enslaved for 430 years in Egypt. God used Moses, raised him up as a deliverer and Aaron by his side to rescue and to redeem the people out of Egypt, which would have been symbolic and is all throughout the Old Testament as a place of death. So God rescues them from death through Moses They go in the wilderness for 40 years, and they're about to go into the promised land. They're about to receive life and freedom. Moses, unfortunately, doesn't receive the privilege of taking the people of God into the promised land. That's given to Joshua. So Joshua is commanded to take the people into the promised land, to conquer it, and to settle it. They've gone from death and slavery to life and freedom. And the command is to go there and to establish a nation where they can freely serve and worship God and be a beacon of God's glory to all the surrounding nations. So they go in and they, they conquer the unconquerable city of Jericho. And they begin to settle throughout the land. But then Judges begins with the death of Joshua. You see, the people of God are now in the promised land. They have settled in in much of the land. There is still so much to settle. And so the book of Judges recalls the history where after Joshua's death, the judges, not courtroom judges, but tribal leaders, they were referred to as judges, They lead their tribes to go settle the land all throughout Israel, the promised land. And so this is what is taking place historically in this book. Now, it's important to understand something about this book and give a little bit of a disclaimer. This is brutal. This book is the most brutal, the most violent, the most why is this in the Bible book. And you're going to feel that. It's a tragic tale. We're going to go through this series, and you're going to hear stories and and events, and you're going to think to yourself, I I can't believe this is here. I didn't know that this was in the Bible. 
I've never seen the show Game of Thrones, but I imagine from what I hear that this is the Game of Thrones in the Bible, but actually worse. It's how bad this is. It's brutal. And we could talk about that, and I think it's important to kind of talk and process how do we deal with, like, all the violence and the brutality and the killing and, and God kind of commanding and allowing that to take place. And so we've actually provided a resource for you. If you have texted in, if you notice on the backside of your worship program, you can text in the word hi to our text in number, and you receive all the sermon notes there and the events coming up. But there's one really important link that I want you to text in and check out later, and that is a link to a growth track video uh, put together for you all. It's about 12 minutes long, and it's, it's kind of me sharing how to process and think about the violence in this book. And so if you're wanting to process that and kind of answer some of those questions and some of those doubts, I want to give that resource to you. So later this week or later tonight, click on that link. It'll be live for the next five days and engage with it and help to process because it's important to do that or else we're just going to be confused. You see, when you walk through this book and you kind of see the stories and the brutality of it, it reveals something really important, and that is that the Bible is not a self-help book. The Bible is not just a collection of inspirational stories that will make you feel good and add a positive vibe to your week and give you a couple virtues that you can add so you can accomplish your goals. It's not what the Bible is. The Bible is the good news of the gospel. It's the good news that God is merciful and patient with us, even in our brokenness, even when we fail, God is patient and merciful, and he delivers grace to us even when we resist him. See, that's what we see in the book of Judges. The people of God will rebel against God, then they will repent, and God will restore them. And then they will rebel against God, and then they will repent, and God will restore them. And the cycle continues on and on. It is a picture of the grace of God. You see, in the very beginning of chapter 1, you can see that the violence and the brutality. There's, in just chapter 1 of Judges, there are 10,000 plus people killed. A guy has his thumbs and his toes cut off, and a city is burned to the ground. I told you, it's It's wild. But we're going to see the grace of God all throughout this story, his mercy, his patience, his loving kindness to his people, even when we rebel. So it's important to understand what God's command actually was. God commands his people, as we see in the book of Judges, to go and to conquer the land and to settle there. And he says some specific things, which is, I want you to drive out the Canaanites. The Canaanites were those that were in the majority of the land. They were polytheistic, pagan people who made physical idols and worshipped idols. The primary god that they worshipped was named Baal. And they were engaged in some evil practices too, like sacrificing children as a form of worship and ritual sex and some other things that we would all say is evil. So God commands the people of God to go into the land and to, to conquer villages. There's going to be a battle and violence. And then to drive them out. And he actually gives some specific restrictions. He says, do not plunder their villages and towns and do not enslave them, but drive them out. And in chapter 1, we see that there's signs of disaster coming. Because there's this repeated statement and sentence in chapter 1 of Judges where it says that the tribal leaders 
did not drive out the inhabitants of filling the city. Time and time again, they don't listen to God and they don't drive out the people. You see, this is the first instance where we see that the people of God are engaged in this half-hearted discipleship where they're picking and choosing which parts of God's commands and promises they want to believe and claim and which ones to reject. God says, drive them out. They think, well, it's probably better that we keep them there. And as we'll see, actually enslave them and plunder their resources. Tim Keller, who's a pastor and author, has a great definition of actually true discipleship, not half-hearted discipleship, true discipleship. And he says, true discipleship is, the rad- is radical and risk-taking because true disciples rely on God to keep his promises to bless them and not on their own instincts, plans, or insurance policies. You see, what we see here is that the people of God decided not to engage in true discipleship, but half-hearted discipleship. They decided to pick and choose which aspects of God they want to believe and which ones they want to ignore. You see, it's going to take brave faith for them to conquer the land according to God's commands. God says, go and conquer these villages and these towns and these people that are experienced in warfare. And the people of God, the Israelites, have very little kind of understanding with spiritual warfare. I mean, physical warfare. And yet, they're told to trust God that he's going to bring victory even when they're facing an army that outnumbers them. They're told not to plunder and not to enslave the people, which is what everybody else would have done. That's common sense military strategy. When you conquer a city, you take their resources and you build up your war chest and you take their people as a resource as well. And yet God says, I want you to have brave faith. I want you to trust me that I'm going to bring victory in a different way, not according to everybody else's common sense and rationale. I want you to drive them out. And they don't. And the result is that they face obstacles. There's a striking verse in verse 19 of chapter 1 that says this, and the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. It's one of these verses that you can easily skip past. You're just like reading, there's a whole bunch of things happening and you're like, the Lord was with Judah, the tribe of Judah, great. And they weren't able to conquer these people because they had iron chariots. I mean, chariots, it's a pretty formidable force. Makes sense. Maybe they needed to go get their own chariots and they could take them over. But you have to understand what just happened. Just a little bit ago with Joshua, they went up to this city, Jericho, that was famous for being incapable of conquering. It had these high walls that no one has ever penetrated. And they had a spring running inside of Jericho as well. So you couldn't starve them out. They could live there forever. And yet, here's what God says. I want you to walk around the city for seven days, and I want you to blow trumpets. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, (laughs) that's how we're going to conquer the unconquerable city of Jericho is by blowing some trumpets and walking around. But guess what the people of God do? They have brave faith. They take a risk in their face. They say, God, we're going to trust you. They walk around the city for seven days, and on the seventh day, they blow the trumpet. And what happens? The walls come crushing down. They take over the city of Jericho. No one has ever done that before. And now, they come up against some people with some chariots, and they can't conquer them. 
It's not like their horns were broken. You know, it's not like, well, we could conquer them if we had the horns, but we don't got the horns anymore. It's that they, they have common sense faith now. Common sense says if you don't have the forces to take over those with chariots, you're not going to win. They don't have brave faith anymore. They're relying completely on their own strength. And so when they are not strong enough and able, and they don't have the ability to overcome the obstacle in their path, guess what? They don't. And that is what is true of common sense faith. You see, common sense faith is where we begin to say, God, I'm going to choose to believe this about you. I'm going to claim this promise. I'm going to follow your word here because that makes sense to me. I think that will benefit me. But these things that you say, I don't really know how that's going to work out. I don't really see how that's going to fit. And the result is always the same when you live out common sense faith, and that is obstacles. Whereas what we see is that when you engage in wholehearted discipleship, meaning you don't pick and choose what to believe about God, you trust him at his word, even when it makes no sense, even when you can't see a path of victory, you're like, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have brave faith. I'm going to take risks because I believe that you're a God that can conquer the unconquerable. And I'm going to trust you. What you see is that obstacles come crashing down. Brave faith breaks down obstacles because nothing that God wants to crash down can stand when you're following and trusting him. You see, all of us have obstacles, right? That's part of the human condition. We all have adversity. We all have obstacles. Every single one of us in this room has a vision for our life. We have goals. How many of you are doing well at your goals that you had in the New Year's resolution? You're like, I haven't accomplished one yet, but I'm going to do it this week. We all have goals, right? We have relationship goals. We have family goals. We have career goals. We have experience goals. We have pleasure goals. We have all of these goals that we want to accomplish in our life, and they're met with adversity. Every goal we have is met with an obstacle. And God has promises for you. If you believe in faith in Jesus Christ, there are promises that are given to you. They are spoken over you, and we're to cling to them. I just want to share four of them with you. Here's four. We're to believe the promise of Romans 8.28 that says that God is working good in all things for those that love him. All things. We're to cling to Hebrews 13.5 where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are to hold on to Philippians 1.6 that says that he, God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And then we're to rest in the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's a snapshot of the promises of God given to his people. God is working good in all things. The work that he's begun in you, he will bring it to completion. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. And he will not leave you nor forsake you. Even when you feel as if he is distant, he is with you. You see, many of us, when we hear those promises, we think to ourselves, man, I wish that was true. I want to believe that's true. I don't just, I don't know. It doesn't really match up with what I see and what I feel. When I look at my life and I look at my obstacles and I look at what I've been facing and what the last few years has been like and what the last few months has been like, I don't see how God is working good. And I certainly don't see how God is going to bring it to completion And I feel as if he's forsaken me, and I feel like I am tempted beyond what I can handle. We doubt because we believe ourselves to be wise, and we overthink, and we overanalyze because we think that we know better. We have common sense. So we doubt the promises of God. 
Now, some of us here, we claim those promises. We're like, yes, I believe those promises. But if we're honest, oftentimes those promises stay as an intellectual assertion. We believe them with our mind, but they don't really affect our everyday life. They don't affect our emotions and our actions and our behavior. We believe them, but they haven't gone from here to here, from the head to the heart. Because we're engaged in common sense faith, believing ourselves to be wise, overthinking, and overanalyzing God's promises and his commands. And the result is that we face obstacles that we try to overcome in our own strength and with our own ability. And we keep falling to them instead of seeing walls crash down. But we're not called to a common sense faith. We're called to a brave faith. I want to share a few practical markers of common sense faith versus brave faith. This is helpful for me. I hope it is for you. How do you know you're living out a common sense faith? Here are a few markers. Be honest with yourself. You turn to prayer as the last resort when you face adversity. Prayer is a last resort. You focus on the physical as your means of deliverance. When you're facing adversity and an obstacle, the first thing you think about delivering you is money or possessions or somebody else. You focus on the physical. Secondly, when you face obstacles, it activates in you fear and anxiety. You hide and you isolate your problems from other people because you're fearful that other people are going to judge you, and so you keep everything hidden and kept away. You first go to wisdom from human ingenuity. If you need wisdom and guidance, you go to a podcast and a book and a website. Your first interaction. And faith is compartmentalized, meaning you engage in your faith and you share your faith when it's convenient, when it's comfortable, and when you think it will benefit you. It's common sense faith. Brave faith is very different. Brave faith is where prayer is your first response. When you face adversity, the first thing you do is pray. When you're facing adversity and an obstacle, you focus on the spiritual aspect of your deliverance before the physical. You look to God to intervene. Even when you can't see how there's going to be victory, you know that God can take down the walls of Jericho. He can take down any wall in your life. Third, when you face obstacles, you may feel anxious, but actually obstacles activate hope and peace in you because you know God is in control. He's not forsaken you. You're vulnerable with others because you know you need other people to walk with you. And you trust God's promise when he says that you need to walk with other people. You can't do this alone. So you share your problems and you're vulnerable. And wisdom comes from God's word. You look to scripture before you look to any podcast or any video or any website. And faith is not compartmentalized. Faith is your identity. You engage and share your faith all the time because it's who you are. It would be inauthentic for you not to engage and share your faith because it's who you are. You see, we're tempted to not live a brave faith, but a common sense faith. All of us in here. And as this takes place in Judges chapter 1, our passage tonight in Judges chapter 2, God gives this very brief but cutting response. It says this in verses 1 and 2. It says, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim. And he said, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. He's recounting his faithfulness. And I said, here's my promise, I will never break my covenant with you, 
And you, here's my commandment, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Meaning you're to drive them out and trust me. You shall break down their altars, their altars to other gods. God's like, I was very clear. I was very direct. I have been faithful. I have provided victory. I have followed through on my word. I have made my promises with you. It is a covenant that I will never break. But imagine how this feels when they heard this. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? Why would you go from following me with brave faith to believing in common sense faith? I have been faithful, and I will continue to be faithful. I have made a covenant with you that I will not break. I was very explicit and clear, and yet you went against it. You see, common sense faith that the Israelites are engaged in here may believe in in God as Savior, but forsakes to believe in God as Lord. God, thank you for saving us from Egypt, from death, and you brought us to the promised land, which is life, but we can take it from here. We don't really need to follow you as Lord. Sometimes when it makes sense to us, but God is Savior, but not Lord. And so God's response is this in verse 3. He says, so now I say, I will not drive them out before you, the Canaanites, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. The life abundant that was promised to them in this land where they're going to freely worship and serve God is now hindered. The Canaanites will not be driven out. They will stay there as a thorn. And we're going to see that all throughout the series as they are, in fact, a thorn in the side of God's people. And they bring many more obstacles and a lot of pain, and a lot of tragedy. You see, they didn't reject God fully, but they didn't accept him fully either. God was their savior, but he was not entirely their Lord. They had this half-hearted discipleship where they pick and choose what they want to believe about God, which promises they claim is true, what they want to follow and not follow, living out a common sense faith, and the result was disastrous. And we read this, and you hear this, and you're like, what is wrong with them? I mean, they saw walls fall down from trumpets being blown. Like, wait a second. And now they're not driving out the inhabitants? Like, it's a simple command. In fact, not only are they not driving out the inhabitants, they also started plundering the villages and enslaving the people. It's like, what are they doing? Why would they do that? If I was in their shoes, I would not have done that. See, we're no different from them. We are no different. Many of us here believe in faith in Jesus Christ that we have been rescued from death, from Egypt, and we have been brought to life. We have done nothing to earn or deserve it. Christ gave his life for us. He paid the sacrifice and the penalty that we deserve, and he was buried and resurrected on the third day, and we have received the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the acceptance of God. God is our Savior, but we still doubt whether or not he can be our Lord. We still pick and choose. God, I know you've been faithful. Thank you for saving me. But I don't know if you know about how I'm supposed to live my life. I think I know better here. Pretty wise. Know how to accomplish my goals and get past my obstacles. Thank you, but I got it. We're no different. We face similar obstacles. We engage and fall prey to a half-hearted discipleship. We ebb and flow in and out of that, right? Many of us ebb and flow in and out of living out brave faith, and then we... Come back to common sense faith. 
the question that is put before us this evening is when you recognize that you're living a half-hearted discipleship and you're living out a common sense faith, is what are you going to do? When you recognize that, when you see that, what is your response going to be? Because actually we see the right response here in verses 4 and 5 from the Israelites. They repent. Here's what it says. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. They repented. They wept and lifted up their voice in confession and repentance. Question is why? You're like, well, I know why. Because they disobeyed God and they disappointed God. And now they have this consequence of the Canaanites staying there as a thorn in their side. And so they, obviously, the natural response is to repent. But you see, true repentance never comes because of the consequence you're facing. True repentance does not come because you're fearful of future consequences. And true repentance does not come because you just mentally understand you committed a wrong. You're like, I'm sorry for doing that, so I repent. I mean, just think back on your childhood. How many times did you say, I'm so sorry, I'll never do that again. And five minutes later, you did it again, right? You repented because of the consequences or because of fear of what your parents may think or do or because you just realized you made a wrong. How many of us still do that? All of us, right? Never going to do that again. That's the last time. Next night, same thing. Because true repentance has nothing to do with consequence, fear, or just understanding that we committed a wrong. True repentance comes by way of love. When you recognize that you're loved despite your failure and despite your offense, that actually brings repentance. Repentance means to return, to return to God. That comes not through consequences or fear, but because of love. That's actually why they repent here. Though we're going to see in the story, they're going to rebel again because they're just like us. They repent because they understand that they're loved. There's a verse here, the very first verse that Seems like a random detail. It says, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim. You're like, that's nice. Okay. Right? How many times you read the Bible and you're like, cool, weird detail. Why, why is that there? It's, it gives you the route the angel took to speak to the people. There at Bochim, he's like, the angel of the Lord was in Gilgal, comes up to Bochim. It's like, the angel lived there? It's like angel families, like living in this town. And he's like, I'm going to come up and travel and share this message. Like, no, of course not. Here's why that's placed there. And it's why it was important for them to understand where the angel came from. Something really significant happened in Gilgal back in Joshua chapter 5. God looked at his people and he made a covenant with him. And here's what he said to them in Gilgal. He said, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Gilgal means to roll. He's saying, today I have removed death from you. Egypt symbolizing death. You see, here in Gilgal, God forgives his people. He covenants with them. He binds himself to them. He says, motivated by my love, I am going to roll away death from you. You see, when the people of God hear the message from God to them, and they hear that the angel came from Gilgal, it signals to them that though they are rebellious, they're saved by grace. God has covenanted with his people. 
He loves them despite their rebellion. And when they are reminded that God is still their Savior, even when they reject Him as Lord, it causes in them repentance. You see, true repentance, when we reject God as Lord and we we fail to follow His commands and we don't believe His promises, comes when we remember that God is still our Savior. He still forgives and loves and accepts us even when we rebel. You see, all of us here are people that are so tempted to live out a common sense faith where we think we know best, we believe ourselves to be wise, we overthink God's commands and his word, and we engage in this half-hearted discipleship, trusting oftentimes in our own strength, and we face obstacles in our own strength because of that. But we're to be reminded that even when we rebel and even when we resist and even when we fail, the grace of God covers you through faith in Jesus. You are forgiven, and you are loved, and you are accepted regardless of what you did last night or last week or last month. And when you know that, and when you remember that, what it should cause in you is repentance, a returning to God, saying, God, I'm going to leave this common sense faith, and I'm going to return to brave faith, trusting you and taking risk and believing that you can bring victory even when I don't see it. I'm going to follow after you wholeheartedly. That's a promise to us. We are saved by grace even when we fail. Will you pray with me? God, we're broken people. We dress ourselves up and like to pretend that we're not. We like to believe ourselves to be wise and we believe that we have the ability to to achieve all of our goals and to push through all the obstacles in our life. But God, we're weak. But we thank you that you are a good father. That even when we reject you as Lord, you are still our savior. God, that you love us and you have forgiven us and you have accepted us through faith because of your grace motivated by your love, not our deservedness. So tonight, Lord, we pray that we would recognize that if we are living out a common sense faith and we would return to you, we would repent and say, God, give me the strength to trust you and to follow you and to believe your commands. I want to live out a brave faith. I want to see you tear down obstacles in my life. God, we pray that your grace would motivate that in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.